Ephesians 2 on this Easter morning. Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 10. The theme for today's message is the resurrection life. Let us go to our Father in prayer. Righteous Father, Almighty God, we worship and praise you on this day for the life of Christ, for raising your Son from the dead. Jesus is alive. We praise you, O crucified and risen Saviour. Glory be to God forever and ever. O Lord, would you give us eyes to see and would you implant in our hearts the resurrection life of Jesus of Nazareth, that we too as Christians would live the life of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen. So the process of how, how rain forms, it's a wonderful process, actually quite complex, although we know the main stages where you have evaporation, so the sun shines warm onto the ocean and then water evaporates and it forms kind of like a, a steam or a gas and then condensation takes place where those very, very tiny Particles of moisture bump together and they stick together and they form drops and they form clouds at first and then, and then these clouds get heavier and heavier as the, uh, as the little drops of water join and bind and unite and eventually you've got dark storm clouds and then it rains. But we're not quite interested merely in having knowledge of how rain forms. What we want is the rain. We want the rain because we know that rain brings life. Rain gives us drinking water. It gives us water to drink. It gives us food to eat. It <coughs> makes the grass grow so the sheep and the cattle can eat and we can have meat. It makes the grass grow so the impala and <coughs> wildebeest and giraffe and zebra can, zebra can all eat and so the lions and cheetahs and hyenas and so on have food and it makes the fruit trees grow and vegetables grow and we can eat of the plants. Now I'm using that illustration to show in the same way, yes it's wonderful that Jesus has risen from the dead, Christ is alive, but we want to know what this means for us. How will this change our lives? And this is where we come to Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 10. Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that 
In the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're going to answer five questions this morning about the resurrection life. First question, why do you need it? That is in verse 1 to 3. So Jane, she gets headaches very often, but she thinks it's not a big problem, so she just drinks Panado or Disprin, Grandpa, Gen Pain, take your pick. So she takes headache tablets, and she doesn't realize that it is really a tumor on the brain. She needs an operation. And in the same way, many people think, my situation is not that bad. I'm not so sinful. My heart is not that bad. And because they think they, they have a very uh, light problem, they think they should just try and live a better life. And they don't realize, realize how deep the problem is. And so, therefore, they don't seek for a solution in Jesus. But if I can just take some time to show you how deep our problem really is, you will understand why we need Jesus, why we need the resurrection life of Christ. So although we, we lived physically, we were dead in our sins. We were dead spiritually. So in verse 2, we lived in sin. Or verse 3, we lived in sin. But in verse 1, we were dead spiritually, dead in our trespasses and sins. We had no desire for God. We didn't understand spiritual things. We didn't have a longing for spiritual things. Romans 3 verse 10 to 12 says that. No one seeks God. There's no one who seeks after righteousness or does righteousness. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 <coughs> says that we, don't, and we didn't understand spiritual things. The natural person, he doesn't understand these things. The unbeliever. And so this deadness in us. It also means that we could never come to God in and of ourselves. We didn't have the ability to do so. And many people, many Christians even, they think they chose God out of their own free will. But let me tell you something, that even your will, even your desire was spiritually dead. You were under the power of sin, verse 1. You were dead in the, your trespasses or in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And so that is why God had to choose us. That's why God had to initiate. He, had, he, he was the one who had to call us and to free us from the bonds of sin, from the power of Satan and the power of sin, so that we could then respond to his call to choose him. But he did the choosing first. No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, said Jesus. Jesus said in John 15, verse 16, to the disciples, he said, I chose you, you didn't choose me. Acts 13 verse 48, all those who are destined to eternal life believe. God chooses first. Ephesians 1 verse 4, God chose us before the foundation of the world. 1 John 4 19, we love him because he loved us. And if God didn't take the initiative, if he didn't take the first step, there would have been no hope for us. Romans 8 verse 7 and 8 says the natural man, the unbeliever, 
His mind is set on the flesh. His mind is set on sinful desires. And therefore, he does not please God. He does not keep God's law. And he cannot keep that law. He cannot please God. He doesn't have the spiritual ability to do so. So day by day, verse 2 says, in which you walked in the sin. Day by day, this is the sin in which we walk. This was our lifestyle, was a life of sinning. And we did so because that was just our nature. That's what... That's who we were, verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses. Verse 3 says, you, at the end, you were by nature children of wrath. Verse 2 says, everyone around you did so. You followed the course of this world. Everyone did it, so you did it. And we didn't know that we were really being controlled by the devil. It's like, like Satan drugged us. Verse 2 says, you followed the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That is Satan. He's the leader. He's the prince of the power of the air, of all these evil spirits in the air. Now, Satan is a, he's an evil spirit, and he, and he influences the world to live a sinful lifestyle and to think in a certain way. Verse 2 says so. It's like the, the rats of... Uh, the Pied Piper of Hamlin and all these rats follow him when he plays his flute. And so Satan blinds unbelief in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. Or 1 John 5 verse 19. The whole world is in the power of the evil one. So he holds them in his grip by tempting them to do certain things. And he tempts them to do what they already want to do. What do they want to do? They want to follow their sinful desires. They are dead in their trespasses in sin verse 1. Verse 2 says... Uh, that Satan then controls them. Verse 3 says, We lived in the passions of our flesh, that's our sinful desires, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We did what we wanted to do. We followed our own sin. He says in verse 2, The sons of disobedience, children of disobedience, it's, um, we're children of our own sin, and children of Adam's sin, verse 1 and 2. And we all lived this way. Verse 3, Among whom we all once lived. All of us were sinners. We lusted off to sin, just like a, a donkey when it's mating season. He gets a sniff in the air and he lusts after the female donkey. And our thoughts were so filled with sin. Verse 3 says, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. It's like a mass of sin in our thoughts. Our thought life was just sinful all the way. And we didn't keep back. We just gave in to our desires and our thoughts. What we wanted to look, we looked at. What we wanted to do, we did. What we wanted to say, we said. We didn't hold back. Verse 3 says, we lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We lived according to our emotions. Whatever I feel is right. Uh, we lived for the moment. What I want and I want it now, I'm going to do. And so we were slaves of sin, and we wanted it that way. Slaves walking after Satan in verse 2, but that's what we wanted, verse 3. Living in the passions of our flesh. So because we were sons of disobedience, verse 2, we now became, verse 3 at the end, sons or children of wrath, children of God's anger, children of God's judgment, children of God's punishment. It's like sin is our mother and, and hell is our father. And so God was ready to punish us, not only because of what we did, but because in, because in the depth of our being, the depth of our humanity, we were rebels, like a lion. It's in the lion's nature to kill. And so in our nature, 
It was part of our nature to sin, verse 1. Dead in our trespasses and sins, verse 3. By nature, children of wrath. That was part of who we were. That's part of our makeup. It was born into us. Psalm 51, verse 5 says, I was born in iniquity. I was in, even at conception, I was a sinner. Psalm 58, verse 3, even from the moment of birth, we went astray speaking lies. And so we are not sinners because we sin. Rather, we sin because we are sinners. So in other words, our sinful thoughts and our sinful deeds and our sinful words, it comes from a corrupt nature. And that goes for all humanity, end of verse 3, like the rest of mankind. So I hope you can see, I hope you can see how deep the problem is, so that no one will say silly stuff like, I chose to give my heart to Jesus, and I just decided from now on I'm going to be a better person, and I'm going to start living like Jesus. And I hope also you can see that a ritual like baptism, baptism is important and it's biblical, but I hope you can see that baptism doesn't make you a child of God. To become a Muslim or to become a Hindu or a Buddhist, that's easy. You just, you just make a choice and say, I'm now going to become a Muslim. To become a Jehovah's Witness or a Roman Catholic or a Mormon, that's easy. All you need to do is accept their teachings, you need to be confirmed, you need to apply their teachings, and you must be baptized. And then you're a Jehovah's Witness, or a Mormon, or a Catholic. But to become born again, to become a true Christian, that is a supernatural work of God. So apart from the fact that Jesus had to die for our sins on a cross, something else had to happen. God needs to put spiritual life. He needs to blow spiritual life into your soul. And the Holy Spirit must make you a new person from the inside out. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were made alive together with Christ. So that's a supernatural work. Yes, you accept Christ as your Savior, but that doesn't come from yourself, says one John, or John chapter 1. Verse 13, it says, you were born of God. It's not of the flesh. It's not a decision made by man. It's not of blood, meaning that your parents make you a Christian or you're born a Christian. No, God must remove the heart of stone. God must give you a heart of flesh. And once he, had made, he has made you new, then you no longer live in sin. You are dead for sin. You were dead in sin, but now you have died to sin. You are now alive in Christ. So verse 1 to 3, you were dead, but God has made you a new person. And so you no longer walk after following the masses, following the world, verse 2, following Satan, controlled by Satan. You are new. Is that true of you today? Is that true of you? Or do you call yourself a Christian, but you're still in the grip of sin? You're still in the grip of alcohol and stealing and lying, and gossip, and immoral sex, and anger, or whatever sin. And if that is the case with you today, you need the resurrection life of Jesus. Second question. Speaking about the resurrection life, where do you get it? And that is in verse 4 to 6. 
Now, in Kempton Park, if you go out on any night of the year, you won't see many stars because the city lights actually dim the starlight and you can't see many stars in the sky. But if you go to Sutherland in the Karoo, you'll see many, many, many stars, especially because it's, if it's a dark night, because the darker it is, because, uh, against the dark background of the, the night sky, you'll see the twinkling stars and millions of them. And that is an illustration of God's grace. So verse 1 to 3 is the dark night sky of sin. And verse 4 to 6 is the bright and brilliant starlight of God's grace. And we see God's grace so much better against the dark background of verse 1 to 3, against the dark background of our sin. And it's by this grace that God gives us the resurrection life. And we don't deserve it. God just enriched us. God just poured these riches upon us from the, the storeroom and from the treasure room of his, of his mercy and according to His great love, verse 4. But God being rich in mercy and because of the great love with which He loved us. God didn't save us because of who we were, but because of who He is, His riches, His mercy, His love. And the riches of that mercy also means that God doesn't just bear with us. He doesn't just say, oh, I'll bear with you sinners. No, God saves us with His whole heart. He wants to save us. God loved us before He even made the world. His love for us cannot be greater than it is. Verse 4 speaks of the great love with which He loved us. Verse, verse 4 of chapter 1 says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before He even made the world, He loved you. He loved us when we were spiritually dead. He loved us when we were, verse 1, dead in our sins, when we were, verse 2, following Satan and following the world, when we were, verse 3, living for the passions of our flesh, loving our sin. That's when God loved us. God loved us and He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us even when we were dead in our sin. When we were enemies of God. And in His great love, He broke the chains of sin and of Satan and of the world. He broke these powers over us. And He made us alive in Christ, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses. That's when He loved us. And He made us alive together with Christ. And the, the fact that he, that he made us alive together with Christ while we were dead, that means God made the first move. God didn't respond to your decision and my decision, to your choice and my choice. We responded to God's choice. God gave us spiritual life, verse 5, so that we could believe the gospel, verse 8. So in other words, you don't believe because you are born again, or, or uh, you don't, you're not born again because you believe. No, you believe because you're born again. So God first gives you spiritual life, verse 5, and then you are able to believe, verse 8. Not you believe and now you're born again. Yes, it's true. Faith is something that you do. You believe. It's not God who believes for you. You believe in Christ. But the new birth, the resurrection life is something that God does in you. 
It is a miracle by which God's, God makes you alive with Christ. Verse 5 again. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So because you are now in Christ, or because you have this, this life God has raised you, you are in Christ, and Christ lives in you, and you live in Him. Galatians 2 verse 20. And, and so, so in a certain sense then, because you are in Christ, He lives in you and you in Him. In a certain sense, you are already seated in heaven with Christ. Verse 6, middle. You are, God seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 says, Our life is hidden with Christ on high. It is hidden with Christ in God. So that means you cannot lose your salvation. You cannot be in Christ, seated in the heavens in Christ, and then suddenly you, you, you lose your place in the heavens in Christ. You cannot be raised, you were dead in your sins, now God raises you to new life, and then you go back and you die again in your sin. That's impossible, because the life God gives is eternal life. And if you lose your salvation, it means your life was never eternal. Then God is a liar, and that cannot happen. Listen, according to Scripture, a Christian cannot lose his or her salvation. Ephesians 1 verse 13 and 14, God gives us a spirit as a guarantee. He seals us with a spirit. And those who belong, the Father has given to the Son, they will come to Christ. He will never cast them out. John 6 37. John 6 verse 39, He will not lose any of those the Father gives Him. John 10 verse 28 and 29, no one can pluck us from Christ's hand, and the Father who gives us to Jesus is greater than all. No one can pull us or pluck us from the Father's hand. No one can snatch us from God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. He who began the good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. If He has called you, if He has justified you, if He has glorified you, or He will glorify you then. So it goes, actually it starts in, in eternity past. Those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Those whom He predestined, He called. Those whom He called, He justified. Those whom He justified, He glorified. Romans 8 verse 29 and 30. Go and check it. So if you are in Christ, you are safe. Number three. Third question about the resurrection life. Why does God give it? That is in verse 7. Last year we had a, a holiday break. We're having one in a, um, a week's time again, my family and I, just taking seven days off to rest. But last year when we had a, a time of rest, <clears throat> a brother and sister in our church gave us gifts. It wasn't our birthday, it wasn't Christmas. They just gave us gifts just because they wanted to give us presents. They were so kind. They gave each one of our children a gift. They gave me a gift. They gave my wife a gift. And that is what God does. With this resurrection life, why does He give it to us? Just because He can and because He wants to, because He loves us. He just gives it. For no, It's not that we deserve anything. He just gives it. And, and giving us this resurrection life as a gift, that's just the beginning. He gives us this life in His Son because He wants us with Him in heaven so He can just pour His grace upon us. The riches of His grace, He can just keep on showing it to us forever and ever. Verse 7, 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And he's already giving this to us. He's already giving the riches of his grace to us. Verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Chapter 1 verse 7 and 8. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So God has already given to us the riches of his grace. He's just pouring it upon us. But when we get to heaven, we're going to see new dimensions of his grace and love that we didn't even know existed. That's chapter 2 verse 7. Where he just pours it upon you. He just shows the immeasurable riches of his grace. And it's not like some earthly king. You go and visit an earthly king and he shows you his treasure room and his bank account and all his riches and the grand palace and his kingdom. But there's an end to it. Somewhere you're going to reach an end and say, now I've seen everything. But not so with God's riches. It's immeasurable, verse 7. So that means heaven will never get boring. You won't be bored in heaven. You won't say, right, now I've seen everything. No, you will never. You will never find the end of God's greatness, of his, the end of His grace, of His wisdom, of His power. It's immeasurable riches, verse 7. Psalm 145, verse 3 speaks of God and His greatness. It's unending. It's never ending. The greatness of His power, the greatness of His might, the greatness of His being. Psalm 147, verse 4 and 5. There is no end to His power. The, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and of the knowledge of God. You'll never find this. This is a mountain you'll never climb. This is an ocean you will not touch the bottom. You will not touch the ocean floor. This is a mine that you can never exhaust. And as the centuries continue in the new world and the millennia continue and it unfolds, you will just learn more and more and more of the grace of God. Verse 7 again. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. And so your awe and your wonder and your amazement will just grow more and more as eternity continues. And so John 1 verse 16 will take on new meaning where it says, Out of Christ's fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Now perhaps you wonder, why do we need grace if we're in heaven? It's only sinners who need grace. In heaven we won't sin anymore, so why do you need grace? But grace is not just for sinners. Um, grace, is, grace is God's undeserved favor over his creatures. So that would mean, even before Adam and Eve sinned, while they were in the Garden of Eden, that would mean that sunshine and rain and fresh fruit... And friendship, that was all God's grace, God's undeserved favor upon Adam and Eve. And in the same way in heaven, we will enjoy God's grace, as verse 7 says. This grace will just keep on coming. And so in heaven, we also deserve something we don't, or we get something that we don't deserve. God shows us His grace, why? Verse 7 says, in kindness, simply because He's kind. And we receive this grace, verse 7 says, in Christ Jesus. So can you see that even in heaven you will need God's grace. Even in heaven you will need Jesus. 
And even in heaven, God will show you grace. God will show you his undeserved favor for the sake of Christ. And so, so let us never cease. Let us never stop to thank the Father for giving us his Son. Let us never stop to praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Even now, let us start praising him. And let us practice for heaven. Practice to praise Jesus. And I guarantee you, you will not become tired of praising Jesus Christ. Because the moment you see the face of Jesus, the Father's grace will overwhelm you. It will pour over you like a flood. And you will praise Him forever. And you will be able to do so. And you will want to do so. <clears throat> Fourth question. About the resurrection life. How do, you, how do you get it? That is in verse 8 and 9. I don't know if you like this, but I find this with myself, and I think it, it is like this in general with human beings. There's something in us, you become skeptical if there's an advert and, said, and, and it tells you come and get this for free. You're skeptical and you think, nah, there's something, yeah, I smell a rat, everything's not right. And sometimes it's also because of our pride. We don't want to say, oh, I didn't deserve this, I got it for free. We want to be able to say, I deserve this, I worked for this. And it's the same with salvation. We want to be able to say, you know, I deserved salvation, I worked for it. But we didn't work for it. We are sinners, and all we deserve is hell. And so salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. We didn't receive salvation because we did something. We received salvation because we believed that Jesus Christ became a man. He is God who became man. He lived a perfect life in the place of sinners. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose on the third day from the grave. And we trusted in Christ. We trusted that the Father will accept the life and the death of Jesus in our place. That is why we are saved. Because of what God did, and we received that. And so because salvation is a free gift, you don't have to do anything to deserve salvation or to earn salvation. Jesus has already earned it for us. He has purchased it for us. He has bought it for us. He has paid the price for us. All we need to do is receive it and accept it with open hands, with open arms, and thank God for this. If you and I needed to deserve salvation or earn salvation, well, then we would brag about ourselves and, and we would boast and say, I, I got this because I did something. Verse 9 said, verse 8 says, it's not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so if we could earn salvation, we wouldn't praise Jesus, we would praise ourselves. According to the Bible, salvation is from God alone. Even faith is a gift that God gives you. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Acts 18 verse 27 speaks of people who by grace believed. 
Because of God's grace, they believed. Philippians 1 verse 29 says, God has given it to you to believe. In other words, God gives you the ability so you can believe. And so your and my salvation depends entirely on God. Man cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from above. John 3 verse 27. What do you have that you didn't receive? 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7. Everything we have is given of God. So salvation is not a team effort between, between me and God. It's not a team effort. You're busy drowning and God throws the life boy, he throws the tube and you grab hold of the life boy and uh, you, you take it. So God threw it but you take it. No. No, salvation is rather you drowning. You and I drowning and we get to the bottom of the ocean. We did. And Jesus dives in and he brings us up from the ocean floor and he creates new life in us. And the moment we open our eyes and we see Jesus, we cannot do anything else but to love him, to believe in him, to praise him and to worship him. Do you feel that way? Or are you still bragging about your own goodness? And yet in your heart of hearts you know you're a scoundrel. Question number five. About the resurrection life. Fifth question. How can you recognize it? That is in verse 10. So John didn't grow up on a farm. And he doesn't know anything about fruit trees really. But he can spot an apple tree by its fruit. As soon as he sees, oh, they're apples, that must be an apple tree. And in the same way, you can look at a person's life. You can look at his good works. You can look at his fruit, the fruit of his life. And then you can see, does he have the resurrection life in him or not? Verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, we are not saved by good works. Verse 9 says that. Not as a result of works. But if you are truly saved, you will do good works. Verse 10. Good works that God prepared beforehand. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. And that's why the Lord saved you, right? God saved you so you can be like Jesus. God saved you so that you would bear the good fruit of repentance, the good fruit of righteous works and righteous deeds, righteous words, righteous thoughts, so that you can glorify the Father. And so, before you and I were saved, we walked in disobedience. We walked in sin. Verse 2. In which you once walked. But now what do we walk in? Verse 10. Walk in good works. That is now our lifestyle. So what, what marks your life? The mark of your life as a Christian is good works. Not sin. Good works. And the reason for this is because God has made you a new creature. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship created. Created. You're a new creation. A new creature. And God gives you the ability to do good. You want to do good and you will do good. You have the desire and the ability. Because he created you as a new person to do good works. So would you test yourself this morning, please? What do you want to do? What is your desire? Do you want to do sin? Or do you want to do good works? 
And are you able? Is, is that just a constant part of your life? Constantly you're busy doing good works? Or are you constantly doing sin? And your answer to those questions will show are you saved or not. And if you are saved, you don't, you don't even have to think up what are the good works I must do. You simply ask the Lord, Lord, please show me the good works you've prepared for me. Show where you've put them on my path and help me to do them. Verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And those good works, that can go from cooking a meal or doing your homework, your schoolwork, or playing with your children or talking to your spouse or cleaning a gutter or helping someone to tow his car to the workshop, or visiting someone, or remembering someone's birthday, or loving your enemy. And if, if that is constantly part of your life, constantly doing these good works in every area of your life, then unbelievers will start seeing that, and they will glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew 5 verse 16. Let your good works be seen of men. Jesus said um, that... Let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. And it is especially impressive if you do these good works to your enemies. The world cannot understand that. They cannot understand how can you do good to your enemies. But we know the secret. The secret is the resurrection life of Jesus within us. And this is a life, this resurrection life, it is fuller than anything that the universe can give you. Jesus gives us life and life abundantly. It's not, it's not merely like a dam that fills up with rain and then it overflows. It's banks or a river overflowing its banks. No, rather it's like a fountain within us that never stops flowing. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise and thank and worship and adore and glorify you for the resurrection life of Jesus Christ in us. Glory be to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.